Doug. Hello and happy new year. Karen. Happy 2021. Uh, we made it. I asked with a question mark. I mean, we're here. Whatever here is. We are here. Um, I mean, you know, I think we all, or at least I feel like, and I know, I think like, you know, I guess we were kind of hoping for like that seismic shift, but it just feels like another day, another Trump. Yeah, so far. So far. So maybe, maybe I, February will feel different. But Well, I feel like the new year is on pause until January 20th. Yeah, I think a lot of people feel that way. And then a lot of people feel like F you. So, right. so this is where we stay. Right. Right. So but we're here and we're here on the block. We are here. We are here with 101 Damnations. Season 5, episode 24. 24. And boy, I mean, this was another doozy. And I'm glad we're not said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, much as we might love her, it's probably not the first time we could say that either. I'm going to tell you something. Yes. Favorite episode of the season right here. Was it? It was. Now, what made it your favorite? Well, we'll, we'll get into it. I'm not sure if I should have reserved this judgment for the end of the cast, but the way the episode is written is so fun. The stuff that the the stuff that they do actually takes advantage again of the proximity of the fact that these people are all coming and going the same place and can all see and hear each other. Like I love it. They're yeah. in small ways everything is entwined and seeds get planted that we see grow to fruition within the end of the episode. It's great. Yeah. I love yeah. it. So, so it was almost like they were playing this weird game of telephone. Of like rear window meets telephone. Yeah, like they were all or there was all this like you know, they actually used the courtyard finally yes. to its full yes. advantage um, with eavesdropping and overhearing things. And this is how a lot of stuff got brought into the open. Um, well, I should say not a lot of stuff, but mostly um, a couple big things. Yeah, but it was like sort of Taylor carried along all year. Yeah, sort of like Taylor, Kyle, Peter, Amanda, plus Sid, sort of all that mm-hmm. brouhaha. Mm-hmm. And, and, it's, and it sort of comes to a head. Um, because of eavesdropping. Yeah. It was, re- I agree with that. I think I it thought was it was really, I thought it was really clever. It was yeah. like they woke up and said, we can keep moving these stories along or we can give it a little extra narrative zhuzh. Yes. And I appreciated it. Yeah. And it was like they said, oh my God, these people live in a courtyard. They can all hear each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, duh. You know, I mean, and all this time we thought it was about the pool. <laughs> That's right. Now, interestingly, the name of the writer assigned to this is Carol Mendelson. It's not like it's, she's just joined the show. She's been on the writing staff the whole time. Um, so it's not like someone new was brought in and was like, I'm going to show you what else I can do. It was just like a momentary blip of, of inspiration. Well, I am so glad she was inspired. You know, I bet you she lived in a complex similar to Melrose Place and probably <laughs> had like one of those window epiphanies. Let's go with that. I'd like okay. to believe that. I'd like to believe that they all somehow started out that way. <laughs> out that way. Art imitates life, imitates art. So hey, where should we begin? I'm I, I almost wanna say Megan Michael Kimberly. But 
Yeah, because I guess if there was... It mostly that... lifts out. Michael's always going to be a little tied to Peter, but it mostly lifts out. Yeah, it's mostly on the outside, on the outside of the, the storyline. Even Matt's storyline, they were able to sort of fold it into the apartment building. Yeah, and I look forward to talking about the Matt stuff this week. Oh, good. Um, okay, so yeah, so when we la- last left uh, Michael and Megan and Kimberly, um, Megan, I guess, was outed as a prostitute. Oh, no, she was arrested. In jail. In jail. Yeah. She was jailed. She was set up. That's right. So she was set up by Josh and Kimberly, um, although Kimberly didn't realize that Technically, she was Kimberly, her up. Kimberly sort of like sprung Josh on Megan, and though she didn't want bad to happen to Megan, she's letting, or let Josh do his thing. Right. So, so Josh yeah. is really the culprit, but Kimberly pulled the record and all of it. Right. And then Michael bailed Megan out of jail. And we, the last time we saw Megan, she was, like, running from the pimp, right? Into, yeah, Josh into followed the her unknown. alone in the alley. Yeah, so she's on her own because Michael's like, I paid your bail, but you're not with me anymore. I can't trust you, which, hello. But, um, yeah, so right now Megan is on her own. Right, and the hits um, keep so, on coming. Yeah, they really, they really do. It's like a, a stack of dominoes, all of which means that Michael is a high-profile L.A. resident who's getting front-page news and everyone is reading the paper. Yeah, so basically, that's, that's Big Fancy Doctor has a hooker for a wife. They don't show us this. No, but somehow literally everyone in every sect of society knows who Michael and Megan are and the truth about them. Yeah, yeah. And apparently that was on the front page of the newspapers. But again, they don't show, they don't show, like, I. this is where I feel like the episode stumbled. Like, I feel like we should have had Megan picking up a copy of the newspaper and being like, oh, or when the landlord or, Megan, like, there should have or been Or Jake walks there. into Allison's apartment with a copy of the paper and that's on the front page. Yeah, like, there should have been something. Something like that, something like that yes. should have happened so that we were tipped off that this was such a, because it kind of came out of left field. Yeah, like, there's the idea that everyone knows everyone's business if you're a cast member on the show. But this is like everyone in Los Angeles County knows who Megan is. Yes. And that she's married to Michael and that she's a hooker. And that she's a prostitute. Yeah. Yeah. Which has never happened in L.A. Um, So we began with Megan calling Michael again. Right. And she's pleading with him, but he's still on his high horse and he wants nothing to do with her still. Yeah. And And then. The kids keep on coming. Yeah, because her landlord comes in to evict her because she read the newspaper. Right. She read the newspaper that we did not read. Um, And I don't think even Michael sort of made... Did Michael make reference to it in their conversation? Like, I am the laughing stock of the... No, no. I think the first first that we hear of it is just when the the landlord comes in. And then we have other examples of people being like, I read the story. I know who you are. It happens in the hospital. It happens later on in the place making ends up. They refer to it enough that you catch on that, like, I guess everyone is onto this. This is news. But it's never just said overtly by any of our main characters. And, I mean, if it was going to be said by anybody, it would have been in that first phone call that Michael and Megan had where Michael should have said, you just ruined my life. Or she could have said, Michael, I'm so sorry. I saw it was in the paper. I know everyone must be talking about it. Something, something. 
because that would have happened between the two of that needed that conversation needed to happen between the two of them before we got the information from the landlord because that's yeah. basically what we did we got the information yeah, it is. and also like you already have the scene you have megan and michael talking she yeah. wants to be with him and he says he's moving on he can't trust her well that's already redundant but if you introduce this new thing, then it's at least a, a little bit of purpose for having this, especially in our cold open. Right. And you can still have the landlord show up because the landlord now, you know, I mean, but... and right, but, but it, and that is upping the stakes. That's escalating right. things already. Right. So you right. tell us first that this is out there. People in the world know this. And then you say, these are the consequences. The first consequence is Megan is getting evicted because that is what happens. Her, her landlord comes in. Um, I forget her name. It's Mrs. Bowen, I think. And she comes in with her accent. She says, I'm not looking for a quickie. But I thought she was saying, I'm not looking for a cookie. Which uh, might tell you a lot about my, where my mind goes first. But you wanted a snack. I always yeah. want a cookie. Yeah. <laughs> Were you surprised that she was a renter? Yes. I especially definitely with thought, all those books. That looked like a nice house. That looked like a house that you own. Yeah, especially with all those books and, that, and those beautiful jobs. And I was like, where is she going to put all those books? And the piano. And the piano, because those were her books and her piano. Now where are yeah. they? Yeah, we don't know. I mean, they're not in the house by the time the next scene, but we don't know where they are. No, we don't know where they are. Okay, so moving on. Well, so then Michael does talk to Peter for a little bit. So there's other Peter stuff we'll hold off on. But for now, we're going to talk about Peter hospital stuff as it dovetails with Michael. And Michael sees Peter. So Peter's apparently a bad chief of staff. He's neglecting policy about proper waste disposal in the hospital. He's even admitting that he's been distracted and isn't doing shit. Right. So then Michael offers to help lighten his chief of staff load and start, you know, helping out as he can. Yeah, but he wants to be co-chief of staff. And I don't, first of all, I don't think it works like that, but it's Melrose Place. But Peter is not having any of that co-chief of staff business. Uh, yeah, but you said 100%. No, does not work like that. No, Peter's not having any of it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when uh, Peter walks away, and that's when the uh, charge nurse mm -hmm. um, brings up uh, that he's gotten many phone calls from Mrs. Mancini and kind of makes fun of how many Mrs. Mancini's they are. Yeah she, yeah, she gives him a bunch of messages and he goes, these are all from the same person. I don't recognize the number. Um, and she says, oh, it's from the landlord. It's from the Mrs. Bowen. She goes, but it's about your wife. She's like, in case you can't keep track, that's your current wife, wife number four. She yeah. sassed him a lot and it's amazing. <laughs> that sass moment was great. And it was like, it was so nice that somebody finally recognized he's had like, you know, four wives in the course of five seasons. Yeah, like, they're not turning blind eyes in the hospital. Yeah, I know, because nobody has recognized this before, except for her. Applaud, applaud. Now, did you notice, and I might have been hearing things, but at the very end of this scene, there was a, a doctor page. They paged a doctor, and it was Dr. Van Halen. Uh, yes, I hear, no, I... I didn't hear it this time, but I remember from long ago, and then I had forgotten that. Okay, because I was like, I was sort of like going, did I just, did I hear that right? And then they did it I again. I remember when I first watched this, and I was like, oh my god, that's a Van Halen thing. And I was like, I think they just paged Dr. Van Halen. Like, Eddie Van Halen's gonna come out. And I was like, oh, oh, Eddie Van Halen. And then it's a sad moment. And then it's a sad moment. But yeah, I thought that that was, that really, like, sort of, like, pricked up my ears. It was very funny. Yeah. 
It was perfect. Yeah, I love it when they do stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So then Michael comes to what was Megan's house. Um, and Mrs. Bowen, who before was like, I don't want any part of this. You have to leave. I don't want your bad prostitution money. Suddenly she's acting like a wash woman. And she's all getting all like gossipy with Michael. She gives him uh, an envelope with a message that Megan has left for Michael. But she's like trying to eavesdrop and find out whatever she can. And I think that's the last we see of her, unfortunately. Yeah. She was a fun one. She was a lot of fun. But, you know, Megan has basically turned in her credit cards, her checkbook, and her engagement ring, her diamond yeah, ring. And she's sort she, of, yeah, she has a goodbye Michael note. She leaves him the ring and says, sorry, I guess I wasn't good enough for anyone. Yeah. Which is like, wah, wah. Yeah, I was a little worried about her. That's, I mean, that's the kind of thing when, you know, like Kimberly goes and takes a walk on the pier or something like that. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Speaking of, Megan goes to Kimberly. Yes, she does go to the beach house. And um, I think this was Kimberly's only scene. It was. I yeah. was just gonna, I was going to say afterward, and that's all we get of Kimberly. We get more Matt than we get Kimberly. Amazing. Well, Kimberly was supposed to be killed off by now. You mean because she was dying? Yes. Yes. The no longer dying Kimberly. So her contrition towards Megan, like is so hard for me. And I'm wondering if that's why they're like limiting the Kimberly storyline, because the whole thing is really, she set this whole fiasco in motion. And well, yeah, she keeps she saying, I didn't mean to together. hurt you. Yeah. You know, I mean, and it's like, and, and, and I mean, honestly, she set the whole thing in motion where she was the one that actually hired Megan to have sex with Michael. Yeah. And then she was the one that convinced Megan that she needed to marry Michael because Kimberly was dying. Like, she, this was all her plan. And her plan went perfectly, except that she's not dying. And so, and so, so then she came with a new plan. Yeah. So her new plan. Right. And then she keeps saying, but I didn't want to hurt you. Well, then what the hell were you doing? There's no way you take away her entire life now and not hurt her. Right. So like, really, you're the bad guy. Yeah. And Kimberly's not saying, no, I didn't want it to work out this way. She's just saying, like, I am sorry that you have become collateral damage. But the and, and it's weird because we don't get any Kimberly with Michael. But Kimberly feels like she has won because she wanted Michael back. Well, you can't be the good guy when you're being the villain. Right. You can't and, take away. Literally, Megan has now lost everything. And I mean, so Kimberly and, and she doesn't. One. She didn't even win because where is Michael? Right? He's not staying right, at the, the beach. Like, you know, like, it's all about how Megan has lost everything, and essentially Kimberly has gotten what she wanted. But if her end game is to be back together with Michael, Michael is still saying he doesn't trust either of them, and Michael isn't interacting with Kimberly at all. Right. So we don't get any clue of what kind of victory it is right now. I mean, I really wish that we had bitter, vindictive Kimberly back. That would be so much more fun than I'm sorry, Kimberly, even though she was, you know, she, she set this whole thing in motion, even though yeah, she yeah, is I, being I, the bad guy. It's hard for her to be bitter or vindictive against Megan, who didn't do anything wrong along the way. Right. I would just have liked to have seen a balls to the wall villain Kimberly wanting what she wants. Right, scheming right. and scheming wants. to get what she wants. I mean, that's sort of like what I'm looking for here when I say bitter and vindictive, um, you know, and not apologetic. Yeah. 
Because you can't. It all rings false, and it's yeah. not the Kimberly we like to watch anyway. Exactly, exactly. So this that's kind of been a bummer. Um, it, I think with this whole storyline is that we need we need the we need the scheming Kimberly. Yeah, I mean we haven't said, but some of the things that she says are like she offers to give her money, but it's like how much? And she's like, "Will you keep in touch?" It's like, keep in touch. Let's be friends, right? Yeah. Like, like, you just screwed me over and ruined my life, and now I have nothing and got me in jail. Like, yeah, let's meet for tea. Yeah. And that's ba- basically Megan's reaction. She's like, I'll write you every day. Like, she's yeah. like, fuck you. Right yeah, for and, so. And she has this thing, which is basically, it's not unlike some of the dialogue that Julia Roberts says in Pretty Woman, where she goes, you take someone who's used to bread and water and then you give them, get them used to champagne and caviar and then you take that all away. It can't not hurt. Right. And it's like, well, okay. Right. Um, but bottom line is Megan is on her own and is destitute. Yes. And, okay. um, yeah. So yeah. before we catch up, to her next step, we do get another scene with Michael in the hospital being a snake, going behind Peter's back, sort of ranting about Peter being incompetent to uh, Dr. Shulman. Um, and she's like, listen, you're never going to be chief of staff material. And she's like, I forget what she says. She's like, you're not good looking enough and you're married to a prostitute. Yeah, it was basically, <laughs> there, I remember there were three things, but those are the last two. <laughs> Look, Dr. Shulman, you're not wrong. <laughs> but she also lets it go, like, because P- Michael is like, Look, Peter wrote me a recommendation. How can he? And she's like, What recommendation? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so we find, so he, Michael finds out that Peter actually never wrote the recommendation and he weaseled in and got the job instead. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, so now we find, uh, we find out what happened to Megan after leaving her rental property. Yes, the, the house is gone, the thing of the past, um, and she's living out of a motel, sort of a no-tell motel. Yeah, and there's a scummy landlord guy. Yeah, yeah, the guy who's running the motel, um, uh, like, first he tries insinuating himself on Megan, saying you owe me the money i know where you're getting it from if you can't make it i can always take it out and trade so we know he's scum um and megan calls michael from the motel and then we finally see uh, or maybe we see again the new receptionist the non-main cast member receptionist for michael and peter and he's like how can i find out where this person called me from she's like if you star 69 it will tell <laughs> Oh my god, but do you remember that? You had to star 69. Yeah, I you didn't even have caller ID. And, Is that crazy? And also star 67 would block the call from being callbackable. It was star 67. I couldn't remember which one that was. Yeah. Oh my god. So uh, wild. So Michael's able to find out where the call came from. He goes to the motel. So first he's reading, he goes to uh, that motel runner guy um, who's reading a book called Libidinal Economy. Yeah. <laughs> Great, great, great use of props all throughout the episode. Where did they even find that? I don't know, but it probably was something that... Like, did they make it up? Um, that makes more sense now that you say that. 
But I don't know that they did. I don't know. Let's look up Libidinal. It's a book. Did you it's just a look real it up? Thing. It's a real it's book. It's a real thing. By um, it's a French thing. It's by a French philosopher, Jean Francois Lyotard. 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 Um. Oh yeah, it's got a whole Wikipedia page. Yeah, libidinal economy. Economy. Wow. Critics argued that the work lacks a moral or political orientation. Leotard subsequently abandoned its views and developed an interest in postmodernism. Ah, well, a real ah. by the seat of your pants kind of philosopher. <laughs> we'll just move over. Jesus. Um, okay, so that's a real thing. So Michael talks to that sleazy guy. I mean, it's like sleaze versus sleaze. Um, who, who, you know, insinuates that he knows what Megan does. Um, you know, Michael sort of threatens him and he goes, Mary Smith is in room 102. Yeah. Um, but she's not in her room because she's out working in the boulevard with like the cleanest looking prostitutes I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, and Michael is able to drive around whatever block um, and find her. And with the other ladies of the evening near her watching, he's able to talk her into getting into the car and he puts the wedding ring back on. Yeah, and so it seems like they've made up. Seems like he's like they've made up, and now even more than before, I ask, but do you guys even like each other? Because I didn't feel anything chemical going on between the two of them, and what should have been a relief of a reunion, if nothing else. Right. And again, since we don't see... Like, I almost want to see Kimberly like the Wicked Witch of the West, watching this whole thing with a crystal ball, trying to hatch a new plan. Like, we just don't know what Kimberly's reaction <laughs> will be. But we need to. We, uh, we need to find out what's, what's going to happen when Michael rejects Kimberly, because as long as Michael doesn't want to be with her, all of her work is for naught. Right. But good for Megan. I have to say, you see pretty clearly with both Megan and and I think now with Kyle, uh, the creative team of Melrose is really pushing them to become our new like front burner protagonists. They're getting a lot of screen time, a lot of sympathy, and a lot of boost. Um, and I think that will continue into next season. And I carry, I was going to ask, does that carry over into, like, I do feel like it's like the new blood, like maybe not young, but knowing that Alyssa Milano is coming up soon. You know what I mean? Like it just right, does like feel like they're trying to re refresh everything. Yeah. Although I'm going to look something up. So keep talking. Okay. Um, that sums it up for Matt, for Megan, Kimberly, Meg, uh, Michael. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Could move over to Matt now. Yeah, we could go to Matt. I mean, this is kind of an interesting, you know, sort of storyline that they're sending him off on, um, you know, particularly since it's not Matt on drugs, Matt with Matt gets AIDS, Matt, you know what I mean? Like, it's that yeah, Matt is beaten. Exactly. You know, um, for once, this is kind of um, refreshing. <laughs> you know, that Matt is going to have struggles. Just something but it's, different. Yeah, but it's not these sort of like, oh, my God, is Matt going to die struggles, you know? Um, so he has, um, he, he and his mom have argue about it, but then make the decision, but then, well, Matt kind of makes the decision. He's going to do kind of like a trial 
a trial run of of the kid, the teenage niece there living with him. Brad, Chelsea. Yeah, because um, last episode we found out, well, we, first we found out Matt had a brother. We found out he had a brother. <laughs> and then we found out the brother died in a plane yeah. crash. Um, and, uh, and we also found out the brother has a teenage daughter who they flew into L.A. for the funeral. And um, at the reading of the will, it found out that Matt's brother left the daughter to under Matt's care. Um, and mom. So, so they're talking about. Yeah, they're talking. First of all, why would Matt want her? Why would he want to complicate his and her life by being the one to act as her guardian? But what's funny is his mom is like, Matt, I don't think you're up to this. You just had a drug addiction. You were arrested <laughs> for soliciting a cop. I don't think this is right. Like, she didn't even hit, like, the beginning of, like, the laundry list of things. You know, she could have been like, Matt, remember the time that you had an affair with a married cop who framed you for murder? Matt, remember blah, blah, blah. But, um, but those are just the ones from this season. Uh, and, of course, annoying bratty Chelsea is eavesdropping, because that's the theme of the game. Um outside the kitchen so she so she hears some of this and the discussion of like the the tug of war over her right um, and she comes in she's like i don't want to be with either of you and she refers to matt with sugar in his pants which i was like that's a pretty racy reference um for a primetime show actually so derogatory um but but yeah chelsea is like 100 percent horrible it's like yeah. she should like no one should raise her. Just just put her outside. So okay. So where do we go from there? I, I think that the next time we see Matt is when he's coming home and there's really loud music coming from yeah, his apartment. That's exactly right. And it's great. They've queued it up so that like we already know from a prior scene that there's loud music blasting that everyone across the courtyard can hear. Um, and Matt comes home to hear like loud music. And before he gets to enter his apartment, Amanda comes over to him and she's like, Matt, what's going on? He's like, Amanda is acting like a bitch all episode. Amanda, all of the stress of the Peter stuff is finally kind of taking its toll. And so she's also being nasty in Matt's direction. And he's like, um, sorry, Amanda, my brother just died. And this is his niece. And she's staying with me for a while. And just as Amanda is like, well, I feel bad about your family situation, but I don't really care. Um, that's when you see a bunch of smoke starting to emanate from within Matt's apartment. So they both go in to find that um, Chelsea is taking a shower, has left the music on, but has also like lit a cigarette that is setting the couch not so slowly on fire. Right. So, you know, they, they put the, uh, the fire out just as she comes out of the shower and she's like, what's going on? Why is there so much smoke? And Matt's like, idiot you know you can't do that and then amanda says something too and she says something right back at her and then um matt goes this is amanda woodward the landlord and it's awesome <laughs> and then so amanda doesn't amanda doesn't act politic at all she starts handing it to chelsea also she goes what are you some kind of demon seed to which chelsea retorts what are you some kind of bitch which i actually <laughs> remember hearing back back in the day and it's really funny yes um 
So it doesn't take long for Matt to think, oh, I really can't handle it. This is it. And he tells Chelsea, that's it. You're going back to mom's. Um, right. And that, that would was be grandma. That was the scene that I was teasing before that I really loved. The way they introduce Amanda like that is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't remember now. Do we see, do we, do they go back? We see them at the, yes, we do see them at the mm-hmm. mom's house. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and so Chelsea, I guess, is in the bedroom. Um, Matt is talk to, talking to his mom about why he can't handle it. And you know, the mom is like, you're doing, you know, you're, you're doing the right thing. And then Chelsea overhears it. She gets upset. She, like, flies down the hallway. Um, and then Matt's like, well, let me go tell her that she's going to live, live with you forever. And he goes, you know, he goes into the room. And I guess she wrote something in lipstick on the mirror that's something like, yeah, she adios, goes, I hate you all. Yeah, yeah, I hate you all. Adios, I hate yeah. you all. I hate you all. Yeah. 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 Um, and so now we have a runaway. Yeah. Which, let her go. I mean, really. Let, I mean, she's just horrible. I mean, really, yeah. She looks just like Hillary Swank. You she think makes, so? I do. And every time she comes on, I think she's Hillary Swank. Because Hillary Swank was on 90210, right? Briefly, yes. Yeah. So it's always like this weird, like, I swear she's, she's like a Hillary Swank-esque person, a- actor. Hmm. I guess I can sort of see that. And I wonder if they did that on purpose. Well, when they cast Hillary Swank, which which happened after this. Oh, it happened after that? Yeah, it was yeah. the following season. It just feels like they had a type then. Maybe, I don't know, maybe that's how a lot of people looked then. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, maybe maybe casting people had a type is what Maybe. That, that is totally possible. Okay, so the big story, the big, the big, well, it's kind well, of. Well, here. Let's talk about Allison. Yeah, yeah, because this is another one where the um, the writers kind of again threw us for a loop here, kind of like the newspaper thing, Megan in the newspaper. Yeah. Because especially after we didn't even see Jake and got minimal Allison last week, turns out that they've been back to the doctor. So first of all, though they never really acknowledge it again, Allison is carrying this baby to term. She wants to raise this baby. No, that's not. That's no longer. A debate is no longer a storyline between her and Jake right now. Right. But what we don't see is that she has gone to the doctor and she has an incompetent cervix and needs to stay home and must stay off her feet for two weeks. Um, so it's she. we see her in the apartment. She and Jake are talking about this. That's how we first learn all of this. So, okay, it doesn't sound terrible. They actually milk this for one humorous opportunity after another. The first thing is Jake's like, well, are you going to tell Amanda that you have to take two weeks off? And she's like, no, I'm going to call Billy. And (laughs) Billy's going to tell her, which is awesome. Yeah, that was great. (laughs) And we actually do see Billy coming from having spoken to Allison at work. He's sucking on a pen like a five-year-old little boy. Um, And he goes over to, um, to Amanda, who is nasty now to Allison again. <laughs> I mean, in Allison's direction, um, indirectly. She goes, Well, just because she's not in the office doesn't mean she can't work. We're going to send all of her files to her apartment. And if she doesn't already have a fax machine, you're going to buy one for her and we're going to take it out of her pay. So, okay. I will be checking that apartment for a fax machine in the future. <laughs> um, and there's like a brief snippet of Craig 
going to talk to Amanda and she tells him to leave her alone. And, and that's kind of it. Um, so I think what we should do here in this part of the recap is be relatively vague. Okay. Because what's about to happen is going back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode, Allison's starting to overhear things just sitting in the apartment. She doesn't watch the prices right. She leaves her window open and can hear everything. So the first thing she hears is um, something going on between Kyle and Taylor. That'll come up. We're going to get to it. We're not depriving you of any information. We're just postponing when you'll hear it right now. Right. Um, so Jake comes home and Allison starts gossiping and he tells her to quit eavesdropping and he goes and closes the window later Sam is visiting with Allison and I have to say they don't show them doing much to bond but it's clear that they're friends and I like it um, and then they hear something else Kyle is now knocking on Sid's door and having a conversation um, and Allison actually doesn't hear too much because she's trying to be good now but Sam goes to the window, hears everything, and then fills Allison in. Again, all these things are going to erupt, and we'll, we'll tell you in just a sec. But now Sam has heard this thing while staying with Allison's. Um, later on, we see Amanda on her own downing martinis at Shooters. Jake comes over to her and says, <laughs> something's going on with her. I'm going to be a good friend. Um... And while he's talking to Amanda, he basically does what he told Allison not to do. <laughs> he lets something that he that Allison told him from eavesdropping slip, and and that's going to set Amanda off. Yeah. So it's all this stuff. Allison is just eavesdropping galore from this perfectly situated apartment. So now there there's all this dirt flying around, all of which is true. Um, and some of which we've known about all season long. So now we get to see the rest of the domino effect. Um, I, hmm. I was going to say, I feel like we should go to the rest of the Sid stuff first, but. Oh, oh yeah. No, well, actually, I think we can tie it all in together. Let's let's start out with with the Sid stuff. Okay. So we're at the boutique. <laughs> this was such a fun little storyline too, episode, and you could sort of see it coming. Great little nuggets. You could sort of really see it coming. So Sid yes. has decided. I don't know. I guess um, she's upset with the glass ceiling. I don't know. <laughs> So she's yeah, suddenly creating, like, she's this, a woman warrior for a day. Yeah, she's like creating this sort of like weird um, installation of in the shop with like a woman hanging from the ceiling and all these briefcases around her. And Sam is the one that points out this might not be the safest thing. This isn't a this isn't a sturdy display. And it, somebody's it's literally like a working woman climbing the corporate ladder and only being able to get so far. Yeah, and every bit of this display is completely tenuous. Yeah, like the whole thing could fall or collapse at any moment. 
yeah, like the mannequin hanging from the ceiling and tons and tons of briefcases. I was like, why does she have so many briefcases in inventory? That's probably not a good idea. Um, So the whole thing is a bad idea. And so Sam keeps going, someone's going to get hurt. Someone, you know, someone's going to trip over it. And Sid's saying, no, 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 they won't. And, you know, she basically says, go in the back and count the shipment that just came in. And that's when we have, oh, and who's the actor that walks in? You're oh, gonna I was going to ask if you knew who she was. I, kn- I know her, but I don't, I can't. Her name is Edie McClurg, and she's best known for being um, uh, the the principal secretary in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That's where I knew her from. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so she comes in, and she says she's looking for um, a coat. And she's a little, you know, she's a middle-aged woman, you know, getting up there. And so she's looking a little, a little, not like she'd be shopping in a boutique. Yeah. And she's also, you know, shall we say matronly? And Sid is like, oh, I'm not sure we have your size. And she's like, that's okay. I'm just going to take a look. And yeah. she walks right through the display. And yeah, like, like the whole thing comes that she collapses yeah. right into it. Whole thing comes down on her. Looks bad. Yeah. Um, and she can like barely move from underneath. And so the next time we see uh, Sid, um, uh, it's at the hospital, right? To visit this woman. She comes in with this big bouquet. Yeah, and the hospital is, of course, Wilshire Memorial. Not any of the other ones, but Wilshire Memorial. Right. Of course, that's where we go. Um, so Which even Sid makes a point of saying that was not anywhere near her. <laughs> <laughs> How benevolent of you, Sid. <laughs> um, and and so, you know, and basically she's afraid she's going to get sued. You yeah. know, and the woman is saying, oh, the woman says something like, oh, I almost broke, I broke my neck. And Sid looks horrified. And she's like, oh, it's just a figure of speech. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and she goes, um, you know, the woman admits she's a klutz. And Sid's like, yeah, I mean, good. It was really your fault. And the woman kind of looks at Sid when she says that. Right, right, right. So then Sid goes over to Peter and asks for an ultimate favor, which is she wants to look at her chart and really see the true severity of this woman Hilda's injuries. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. And she starts ribbing him about how he's a cheater and his guilty conscience and blah, blah, blah. And in the middle of this whole tirade trying to guilt Peter, she lets it slip about her one night with Kyle. Yeah. And then she's like, oh, I probably shouldn't have said that. (laughs) And it's like, no, Sid, you probably shouldn't have. Oh, dear. No, no, no. Because now it's out there and it's going to spread like a certain disease that's going around. Um, so, okay. Hold now we need to backtrack, right? What's that? Now we need to backtrack, correct? Yeah. Before we go any yeah. further? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think now we go back to Peter's. And like back in time to Peter's just a day or two earlier, Taylor wakes up with Peter. And this is right after Kyle has thrown her out. So she doesn't have a place to go. Um, And good on Melrose for continuity, by the way, with the scratches on Peter's face. And later we'll see that there's also still a bandage on his abdomen from the attack that he uh, received from Nick last week. But um, 
they're in the morning and Peter's like, so where will you be living? And Taylor's kind of like, well, <laughs> I thought I could just stay here. Yeah. Um, and then things go from bad to worse for Taylor. But I don't really have sympathy for her. Um, so she goes to Kyle's and he tells her that she doesn't work at the restaurant anymore. And the angle she takes is to say that she still loves him or that he still loves her and she still loves both of them. And this is just something that, you know, happens with some adults. But she cares for Peter, but she also still cares for Kyle and he loves her and he shouldn't be doing this. Right. Well, it continues because back in the courtyard, Taylor and Kyle are fighting and this and so Allison is able to watch the whole thing it's actually a very funny shot of Courtney Thornsmith just blatantly standing in front of the blinds with one of the slats pulled down right by her eye um, <laughs> it's like oh and, and it's like you can't see her really people like yeah, she is so obvious right front, so yeah. clear um, this is when Taylor lets it slip to Kyle about Peter being married to her sister Beth and her knowing him since she was 15 years old yeah um, and, and so that is what Allison tells Jake when right. he comes home at night and he's like, nope, stop listening, stop gossiping. So then Taylor comes back to Kyle's again and they start arguing some more and he walks off into the kitchen and he's not paying attention because they're fighting and he cuts his hand badly. So then. <laughs> it's like he cut his thumb off. <laughs> he looks like he, yeah, yeah, he really looks like he severed his thumb. So he, so Kyle goes to the hospital. So he puts like, the thumb on ice and goes to the hospital. <laughs> but he drives himself to the hospital because Taylor's like, I'll take you. And he's like, I don't want anything to do with you. So who, who of course, is treating Kyle in the ER is our non-ER doctor, Peter, at the hospital. So Peter and Kyle are now face-to-face. And they're... they're goading each other so peter brings up kyle's one night stand with sid and that is just as taylor walks into the room um i don't know how she figured out exactly where he was so quick but i guess she followed on her own walked into the room and it timed out just so that she could hear peter mention the thing so now taylor knows so now kyle doesn't have quite as much leverage uh for taylor especially when it comes to the whole i want you out of the restaurant thing right um, I feel like the divulging of this secret could have been used to better effect somehow that Peter knows, like he could have told Taylor directly or he could have worked another angle. He could have tried to blackmail Kyle, something that might've been a bit more dramatically effective, but at least the secrets are finally coming out. Yeah. And, and the, the whole like chain effect is awesome. Um, so then the next scene is Kyle coming to Sid's door and it's confronting her. And he says, I want you to stop telling people about our night together. And of course, she's taken aback that Peter said anything. She feels really guilty. She's very sorry. And that is the piece that Sam overhears when she's right. at <laughs> And she says, she says it to Allison. And then she says it, I think, at least twice to Sid's face. Um, just to, to close out the, the Sid and Sam loop. Sam confronts it at the boutique and calls her a hypocrite. Um, and she says, I can't believe you You're talking about their relationship when you had an affair with Kyle. While doing this, someone walks in and says, is one of you Sidney Andrews Mancini? And Sid goes, yes, I am. 
And she gives her a, a summons. Hilda yeah. is suing her. Which surprise, we saw. Yeah, surprise, surprise. surprise. S- S- poor Sid is getting sued. Um, there is one final thing with Taylor and Kyle as a result of her new knowledge. She has gone to her attorney who, you know, we talk about how they never have lawyer characters that are main characters on the show. But when in need, these characters seem to have no problem finding a, a lawyer who will see them immediately and give them what they need. Um, she has come to her lawyer who has drawn up a non-negotiable contract that because Kyle was also having an affair, they are going to... Equally co-own the restaurant and split their days um, so that she's there, whatever, Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, and he's there, uh, the other three. Which I don't know how that works because it seemed to me like they were always there every night. So I don't know how they're suddenly like, he's the owner and chef and he's only in there three days a week, but whatever. He can't get rid of her and he can't get her out of the restaurant that easily. And that is what the revelation about him and Sid has cost him. So there's one more thing. Yeah, I was gonna, what happened after that? So we go back to shooters. This is yes. when Jake is talking to drunk, drunk, drunk Amanda. She Again, had three Lock, they're doing the best acting of her career here. It is fabulous. Um, so she and Kyle were going to meet at shooters, I guess, and have a working lunch, dinner, excuse me. And for whatever reason, Craig is running late. And in the interim, um, she got three martinis deep. So that's why she's drunk when Jake is talking to her. Um, And it turns out what's really plaguing Amanda is that she is blaming herself. She's taking on 100% of responsibility for losing Peter, for driving him away, for not being there enough for him. And that's when Jake is like, well, what if there was more going on than just you pushing Peter away? And she and she, he, she's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, oh, I shouldn't say anything. And she's not so drunk that she doesn't know to push him. And he's like, well, Peter already knew Taylor because he was married to her sister. So then that's right when Craig shows up. Right. And, and he's like, I thought we were going to have a working dinner. And she goes, I don't feel like work now. You're going to take me somewhere. And Jake's like, she's drunk. Be careful with her. And then we see them. She's made Craig drive her all the way to the marina, where Peter and now Taylor are. And they go on in. Um, Peter and, and Taylor, once again, having couch sex. <laughs> yeah, they're right. They interrupted two of them going at it. That's how we, yeah, the, the shirts are half unbuttoned. That's how we see that there's actually a bandage over Peter's yeah. abdomen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they, like, have a bedroom, but maybe just don't use it. Um, and... And after some, like, back-and-forth insulting, that's when Amanda reels the full truth about Taylor setting Peter up. She's like, she knew everything. She came here. She knew who you were. She knew where you lived. She came to see you in the courtroom that day. She came to you in the jail. She knew where we went for our honeymoon in Santa Barbara. She planned all of it out. And she goes, because she was Beth's sister, blah, blah, blah. And that's when, and even there's a shot of Craig reacting. He's like, what? (laughs) And he's in the middle of this shit storm and he's like, I don't even know what's going on. No, but he can only benefit from it, really. Right. Um, and d- before she walks out again, having done all this damage and good for her, does Amanda slap her or try and strangle her or do anything involving bodily harm to Taylor this time? I don't think she does. I don't think so either. Maybe that was just wishful thinking. 
Yeah. I can't remember it. But, but yeah. So after she leaves, then there's uh, one more moment of Peter asking Taylor if all this is true. And she does admit that she did it. He goes, you set me up. And then he storms off and we slow-mo on her face. Again, you, you built this castle all on your own, Taylor. Yeah, yeah. So I do agree. This was a completely satisfying episode um, in terms of, you know, finally, like, the volcanoes are popping mm-hmm. off, you know. So I, how many episodes do we have left until... Uh, I was trying to figure out. I think it's seven or eight, until including, we... including the two-part finale. I think it's eight, including that. Wow, yeah. So so we still have a fair amount to go, really. Yeah, we still have new cast members to come. We still have new storylines to be introduced. Um, so we are not even quite in the home stretch. So for a lot of these, the you know, this stage is, is certainly being set for where they want everyone to end up by season's end. Okay. But this way that the fact that some of these secrets have finally come out, the way they came out. The way they used Allison in that apartment and the gossip, I thought all of it was great. And again, the fact that we had very little Billy is great, too. Yes, that that was an added bonus. Now, my big burning question left over from this episode, where the yeah. hell are Megan and Michael going to live? Oh, Alyssa asked the same thing, and I simply don't know. Okay. They okay. can't live with Matt right now because, A, there's two of them, and B, that... That the couch is likely going to end up back there. Right. And also, I mean, that couch was like set aflame. So nobody wants to sleep That's on that. Too. Yeah. I mean, where point. are they going to go? They can't stay yeah. with Peter. Yeah. And I don't think uh, Mrs. Bowen is going to have him back. No. I don't know. Maybe that will be answered next week. Okay, good. Yeah. But yeah, I think not even having to grade on a curve, this episode gets an A for me. I agree. It's nice to say that. It's real. It's a relief to say that, quite frankly. It is. <laughs> I like when I can just cheer the show on for its good deeds. Um, I'm trying to think. I think I feel like I might give it an A minus. I mean, that's fair. Simply this because, is, uh, like, for this you season, know, I'm going to say it's an A. You know, simply because of the lack of like, you know, like, like on the one hand, there was great attention to detail in this episode, but on the other hand, it was just like, oh come on, just why? What did you do? Like, why couldn't we have seen yeah, that newspaper the article? Thing with Megan and Michael yeah, Walker. like that was just. I mean, that was that's too much of a big deal. Like, that's one of the things that we really should have seen. Yeah, I agree. Um. Okay. So that. But hey. That's a great way to start off 2021, right? It is a great way. It this is. is. A, a, a rave for 101 on damnations. Yes. So, yay, Melrose. Yay, Melrose. So, we're going to go to the boulevard. You've got yeah, and I have some more out. sunshine in the yeah. new year to spread over on the boulevard, in fact. Oh, we love so, sunshine. I, I do, too. What a way to augur in the winter with some sunshine. All right. So, guys, follow us over there. Yeah, please do. And until then, we will see you back on the blog. Bye.